In this podcast, we take you with us on a journey about economics and investing. By being equipped with different perspectives, we strive to make better and more informed financial decisions. Welcome to Capital Convos. The first issue on Capital Combos. We got some pre-recordings already with some guests, but we decided to go solo for a bit just to get clarity in our positions on certain topics, on understanding, just to give our listeners a better perspective on what they can expect from us. Exactly. Yeah, so we don't have a certain dogma going into all the episodes, but we just want to give a different perspective than what might be the conventional narrative just to get the audience thinking it's not the purpose that we try to force you to reconsider your opinions or try to force our opinions onto you just a different perspective this is just to give you guys a general view of how we view certain topics our opinions and obviously these things can change over time the more we learn the more we dive in into the mm-hmm. source material so without further ado, what we're going to talk to about today is the topic on minimum wage. Controversial, very. At least I'm not sure how deep you've gone into the material on minimum wages, but this is one of the most hot button issues in economics. It's been for around 100 years. So just, that just goes to show how much people really, really like their sides. What do you mean with like their... Well, obviously, there are people that proclaim that a minimum wage is good and that there are others that proclaim it is bad. And both sides have PhD economists arguing for that position. So obviously, there isn't a cookie cutter solution. Like most things. (laughs) Yep. Like most things, it's a bit more complicated than that. Okay, but let's rewind the clock. So you said minimum wage has been around for, say, a hundred, a little bit over a hundred years. Yeah. So what, what's the origin story of minimum wage? Because, you know, you had the industrial revolutions as things started to get through manufacturing. People had started working hourly rates on Mm -hmm. the band and. Over time, you know, governments, legislation started to introduce this, that workers are required a minimum payment to be able to a certain type of job. And obviously, each type of job has a certain parameter where workers fall in. Am yes. I correct? Yes, exactly. So just to get back into it, the first minimum wage was issued in New Zealand of all countries. That should be familiar to you, Diego. That was in 1894. So that was a very, very long time ago. I guess New Zealand, is, even back then, New Zealand was a pretty progressive country. And if I remember correctly, so the current, when I was there, I think the minimum wage was around 17 or 18 New Zealand dollars mm. an hour. Okay, what would that be in US dollars? Quick calculation would be around maybe 10, between 10 and 12 US wow. dollars. Yeah, that's pretty good. In Suriname, for example, the minimum wage isn't even 10 Surinamese dollars, just for example. And bring that into perspective. So we got 10 in New Zealand, 10 US dollars mm-hmm. versus Suriname. Yes, that would, I believe in Suriname it's eight SRDs and, and 42 cents just for just for examples. I, I don't have it off the top of my so head. So with the current rates, it would be around like half a dollar. <laughs> yeah, around half a dollar. It's ridiculous. 
Interesting. Walk us through that short history introduced in New Zealand, yeah. as you said. But what was the catalyst, or what was the need that people wanted in minimum wage, or you know, to accommodate? What happened? You've explained it really well, which is that the base scenario a hundred years ago was that basically everyone was in poverty. So there wasn't, you couldn't legislate your way into prosperity, economic prosperity. But as the industrial revolution came, working conditions increased, wages increased, and then people started to unionize. And it's mostly through the unions, the worker unions, that pressure came to legislate a minimum wage because people said that you need to be at least capable of paying for your basic needs otherwise it's why are you even working this is really interesting you know because if you look at the way the world like then the modern world is going now we went from industrial revolution factory mm-hmm. and now we're moving through the next phase people call it the information age and people are kind of moving away from the traditional office work factory jobs Mm -hmm. and more into the well at least i think it's a small group but mainly because we are more active in that space from my view Uh, people are moving more towards you know creative more project-based and moving away from this hourly rating what's your take on that it it all depends on what can scale in the future and software and IT services, one, they can scale and two, they have the flexibility not to be dependent on a standard eight hour workday. So you can work from home, you could work from an, for, from an island for as far as they're concerned, as long as the productivity stays the same. That's key. It's all about the productivity. What output can you deliver? And yeah, if, if, you're, if you're working for a factory and you're doing manual labor, that doesn't really compare to doing finance or doing accounting for, for example, a multinational company. Like you're, you're being much more productive doing that than doing manual labor. So is minimum wage a Western democratic concept? What about the areas like China where you have a lot of manufacturing? I actually don't know that much about China and how much their minimum wage is. I do know that of the uh, International Labor Organization, the ILO, they said about 94% of all countries have a minimum wage. And I believe of the countries that do not have a minimum wage, those are usually the really, really poor countries or the really, really rich countries. For example, I, I think I heard that Sweden, for example, doesn't have a minimum wage and Finland doesn't have a minimum wage. I'm not because they don't deal with poverty, but perhaps they've found other solutions to deal with that other than a minimum wage, because the minimum wage obviously isn't the only way to care for your population. Right, definitely. Yeah, Finland, now that I think Norway, they have a sovereign wealth fund that kind of basically subsidizes the whole exactly. um, population. Yeah, but yeah, that, that's a different topic. We'll, we'll cover that <laughs> maybe another time, but let, let's stick to the minimum wage. As you said before, there's pros, there's cons. Each mm-hmm. side has their benefits and you know counters to why it would be good or bad. So l- let's take a look at those different views. So if, if you look at why, you, you already shortly explained why people need to be able to 
pay and survive basic needs, and that's why the minimum wage is. Are there any other like benefits or reasons why it was really embraced? Well, the main reason for introducing a minimum wage is one to reduce poverty, obviously, and the second is to reduce income inequality. And the, the the main drivers would be gender inequality or racial inequalities, for example. Those are the most two cited reasons for introducing a minimum wage. I'll touch on that in a bit, especially the gender part. But okay, to counter that point, what's the stance on the people that oppose it? Why minimum wage is not necessarily bad, but you know doesn't work for them. All right. So obviously, if you increase labor is a product like goods and services you buy in the store. The people that are buying labor hours are companies. So if you just artificially increase the price of something, standard economics says demand is going to fall. If you see that the price of eggs goes up, you will buy less eggs. If the price of labor goes up because the government says that you should pay them more, you just won't be able to pay that. And the result of that is, for the basic example is unemployment. So the the counterpoint for a minimum wage isn't that people deserve less money. It's that companies, if they're forced to pay higher wages, they won't be able to afford it and the people will get unemployed. So I would rather have someone be employed at a lower wage than unemployed at a higher wage. Those are, that's the basic level argument for a pro against minimum wage. So it's basically the relationship between employment and, you know, how much you get paid. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's a basic level. It, it gets a bit more complicated, but let's take that as a starting point. Yeah. I remember there being a case, especially I heard this in New Zealand, actually, you know, there was this discussion around the minimum wage because they actually increased the minimum wage, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm this year but there were discussions back and forth and one of the points that are one example i heard people with disabilities you know would you rather have them employed but you know they, they can't really perform on a level that a normal individual would yeah. but then again as you said do you have to pay this individual the minimum wage but even though they cannot perform as equals exactly and then there was this discussion okay then we, we can't accommodate you know people with disabilities exactly. but then they wanted to accommodate them just to make them work and be as of service to the community mm-hmm. that, that's an example of how that happened and it, it, it becomes really complex when you bring these factors into disabilities and you mentioned before the pro was you know to bring balance in the equality, especially amongst gender. But statistics show that, you know, male individuals, uh, especially in more senior positions, earn a percentage, I think between 5 and 10% more pay than the mm-hmm. female counterpart. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot you, you touched on there. The, what I did want to get in was that when you intru- the economy is, isn't really that complex. I would say, I think people make it more complex than it should be. But when you start adding layers of laws and and forced wages through minimum wages, you start creating, I I like to compare it to a pressure hose. Let's say we have a pressure hose and then there's a leak in that pressure hose. So you patch up that small leak, but that small leak then creates another leak somewhere else because you didn't fundamentally fix that problem. You didn't get a new hose. So what happens? You create 
and you put a new patch and then you put a new patch. So you want people to be able to afford living. Okay, great. You introduce a minimum wage and then you get a scenario where disabled people aren't able to get a job, which means they're fully subsidized by the government. That's also not a good thing. So the minimum wage wouldn't be applicable to them. So you create a new law perhaps to accommodate those people. And then you create another ripple effect, another ripple effect, and then you create a lot of laws and then you distort the whole economy. Yeah, it's so, a lot of patchwork. Exactly. That's basically what government employees do all day. So let's bring this, what we mentioned in the context of Suriname and maybe the greater Caribbean and Latin America as a whole, because our region usually is seen as the, you know, kind of the, the back alley for, for region, for a lack of a better word. And there's a lot of, especially in Latin America, I think we're still in a fortunate position compared to other areas in, you know, South America. Caribbean, especially if you look at population size, there's a lot of unemployment in the millions there. If you have to position us looking at our situation, at, at what stage are we with minimum wage and how, how fortunate should people think they are? Well, the, the first minimum wage was introduced in 2015. And fun fact, we were the last Caribbean economy to introduce a minimum wage. So, and if we look at what the minimum wage was back then and compared to what it is now, if you adjust it for inflation, the minimum wage now, even though it's been increased, it's been doubled, the value of the minimum wage in 2015 and the value of the minimum wage today in June 2021 is about half. So, if you talk in purchasing power, if, if you exactly. know a basic family would go to the store and buy the basic you know, bread and milk, they basically would be able to only buy the bread and not the milk. Exactly. Yeah. So if you would convert the minimum wage in 2015 into dollars and convert the same amount in today into dollars, it would be about half. So if you were to compare the success of the minimum wage, I would say arguably it's failed, obviously. So if the wages haven't really kept up with inflation, there isn't really a comparison to be made because it's, it's basically worthless. It says nothing. Yeah, interesting. Quickly on that, this might go into another topic probably, but we, since the start, we started converting in, you know, dollars just for comparison's sake, maybe we're comparing countries. But why is it that for, you know, the, the general audience that we always refer to the dollar when comparing? Well, it, it provides a, a basic standard because no one, we can't compare, for example, the Brazilian real for Chile or for Argentina, but the dollar is in, it's a world reserve currency. So if you provide it as a reference, as a benchmark, then, then it at least provides a tool for comparing them. Other than that, it's, it's just a benchmark. Gotcha. So yeah, don't think we're trying to dollarize everything people. It's just, you know, for reference. Yeah, there, there's a lot of people that actually really don't like the, the U.S. dollar system, but that's a topic for a whole other day. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, so coming back to the minimum wage part, I actually didn't know that that we were the last area in the Caribbean. So Yeah, so to get into that, uh, I actually read a book on the development of the Surinamese minimum wage, and they said that the, the it, they were supposed to implement the minimum wage from 1970. From then on, it was in the process of trying to introduce it, but... One, there was never a consensus between everyone that should have been consulted with a minimum wage. So obviously, 
the government can't just come from one day and say we want a minimum wage and then the second day they declare a minimum wage you know you, you gotta consult with the stakeholders you gotta consult with the unions the, the worker unions you need to consult with the businesses of course and then you need to consult with the government and that consensus just was never there for almost 50 years and also the, the author cited that there just wasn't enough political will to make it happen. There wasn't really an argument made that the governments took an anti-minimum wage stance. So the, that's not what we should be inferring. It's just that there wasn't enough political will to make it happen. But was there no demand from, I say, the unions, the workers? Because in the end, it's their benefit at least, or depending on how you look at it, because people want work unemployment. But yeah. for for context, we were talking about the relationship between minimum wage and unemployment. What's the state of unemployment in Suriname? I believe as of 2019, 2020, the unemployment data was around 10%. About 10% of our population is unemployed. But the caveat with that is that around 35 to 45% of our total economy is what they would consider informal. So informal means you're just you're not really giving taxes to the government. People don't really know what you work, where you work, what you do. So you, you could infer those people. That could be anywhere from these people are doing illegal activities or they just have a bakery in their home and they just give to whoever comes by. So I'm saying that just a reference that when you don't have all the data, you don't know how reliable the data is. So I can tell you 10% is unemployed, but we don't know how much of that 10% is really unemployed because you don't have all the data. Exactly. So if we put this on a, since we're playing a comparison game here and on a larger scale, what's the world average on, you know, unemployment or let's not do world, let's say regional Caribbean, Latin America. Is 10% above the average, below the average? What are we looking at here? I believe the average was around 10, was around 12%. So we're below the average. But we should also consider that the way people conduct unemployment surveys, it, it isn't a cookie cutter solution to the, to the problem. So I wouldn't say that if you ask 10 people, if you look at 10 people and say one of them is unemployed, it doesn't really work like that because there are other ways of calculating how to consider unemployment. And then other countries have other ways of calculating unemployment. It's actually a really messy number to compare it just like that. But just to simplify it, I would say, yes, we are more employed than the typical country in the region. Yeah, it's at least something to yeah. base off and, you know, and start off to improve. So I, I guess the last thing I want to explore on the topic of minimum wage is the relationship between, you know, the private sector and the public sector. How is that dynamic between government minimum wage and the business world minimum wage? How is that dynamic? Uh, there's actually no difference. So the minimum wage just for the whole country, but obviously it only counts for people that are formally employed. There are no minimum wages if you work informally, if you work at, let's say, uh, Warum, for example, or if you work in the gold mines, or if you work where there, where there aren't really taxes being paid. So obviously those people get, the people that work in the informal economy, those wages are set by supply and demand, of course. Okay. So b based on all that, here's my take on the whole thing. I get the minimum wage 
points you just mentioned that as to why on a larger scale for scale it would be necessary to you know because not everyone is in a certain position okay before i go on with that at what point would you say if you look at it from a business perspective or even the independent creators perspective because we, we have the creators podcast the creative convo show so i, I want to look at it from that perspective you're not a big company you're not a big you know public or private sector company you're an independent creator how does that impact you as an independent creator as waging as, as that law or policy well obviously if you're self-employed then <laughs> you, it's you eat what you kill obviously you can't pay yourself a minimum wage because who's gonna pay it you need to pay it to yourself I would say for the creator economy, if you're self-employed, then the minimum wage just isn't applicable. Yeah, because for the sliver or the minimum people or the, the tiny group of people that are moving into this space, it's kind of new ground. It's more like uh, they're more result-driven. It's more like uh, emotional or and, and value. And value is the exchange of what you and I agree upon at the, at a certain point in time. And that's the exchange. And that goes back to way back in time, how people used to, you know, barter, negotiate in exchanging goods and services. Exactly. Yeah. So that's the way the economy should work, in my opinion. I, if it isn't obvious by now, I'm against the minimum wage. So I would say the least intervention from the government, the better. So yes, um, for the creator economy, that is really where prices are set through negotiation. Like what, what do you think this is worth? What's the value of something creative? I think that brings a lot of, you know, vagueness and uncertainty for people trying to go that way because the, you know, the, the consensus, the 40 year history with that implementation has been, you know, the traditional job working for a set amount of hours and that equals to a set rate and that's your salary. And people are moving away from that, at least from my point of view, especially I'm seeing the rise of a creator economy and a lot of potential in there. So while I understand the argument for at scale based on the, you know, industrial revolution working model that it was necessary, I'm kind of not sure where it would be heading in the next or in the current phase we're in. Do you mean the where you think the minimum wage would be heading or the overall labor market? Both actually. So the overall labor market, I can't picture it yet, but for just from intuition and communities I'm active in online, you see that there is a shift in people moving towards more creator. But maybe that's just, you know, maybe that's just a bias because, you know, the, the, after, the more often you are active in a space, the more you see it. Maybe that's just a bias of me. But I see that happening. And if you compare it to a larger scale, maybe it's insignificant. But I think for that small group, at least starting now, I agree with you that the minimum wage would be inconsequential. That is true. That's something definitely to consider. But the minimum wage isn't really for the people that have the, the freedom, I would say, to the freedom to pursue those goals. The minimum wage is mostly for people that are doing manual labor, a fry cook at a McDonald's, for example. Those people don't 
have a lot of opportunities. So that job is are some of the f- few options that they do have. So I would say there will always be a need for a minimum wage if you t- if you prefer a minimum wage. The arguments for a minimum wage will probably always be there because there will always be demand for unskilled labor and unspecialized labor. Indeed, and. I guess one last analogy to bring that into context was the. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. No, I'm not. Could you could you please explain it? So Maslow's hierarchy of needs is a model created by Maslow. He was uh, studying, you know, the human behavior and on, on a societal level on how what the needs of of people and how they behave. He came up with a pyramid model and he split this pyramid into five sections and basically it stacks on each other. So the lowest level of the pyramid would be the physiological needs. That's basically basic needs such as safety, uh, food, water, shelter. And compare that to, you know, reality, poverty. That's where a lot of people are. And once you have that, you move one step higher. And then you get the safety needs as in personal security, you have a house, community, resources, health, insurance, etc. The basic needs. And that's, I guess, where most people are in the, the, the modern economy uh, is in the safety needs and the social needs as in love and belonging. You, you're part of a community, you have friends, you know, partying here and there. So that's what you have. And then the, the last two stages are actually where I see the creator economy moving. Once you have all the basic needs covered, safety needs, love and belonging, then you have esteem, your self-esteem. You're looking for respect, uh, trying to Climb that corporate ladder. You're looking for freedom. You know, not bound by the the constraints within the region you are. So esteem, and then the highest level is then actually self actualization, and this is most you know looking for meaning. What's the purpose of life? This 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 is really high level. So if you compare this to what we just discussed the whole time on minimum wage. I say the minimum wage concept, the principles apply to the to the bottom uh, level of this massive pyramid of needs, as in safety needs and love and belonging and being part of a community to have equal rights and opportunities. I guess that's a really good explanation for it because when you're trying to fend off starvation, you can't really focus that much on, let's say, the bigger meaning of life. And that is a very good, I believe the social arguments for a minimum wage are much better than the economic arguments. Because in my opinion, there isn't really a good economic argument for the minimum wage. But if people aren't even able to survive, yeah, long term, that's, that's very negative. But obviously, there's arguments arguing the other perspective, but yes. 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 So the, in a utopia, obviously the economical utopia, which <laughs> is, you know, a utopia is something kind of really nearly impossible to reach, I'd say, mm-hmm. because you have all these views and, you know, situations and context of where people are. So I, I understand it, but I, I think this gives a good perspective on, you know, how minimum wage and the societal economic relationships are integrated into each other. Exactly. And not to get political, but economy previously was called political economy because they knew they couldn't separate politics from economics. 
And the more you dive into it, you see you can't separate politics from sociology. So e economics and politics and sociology are just one big giant mess of interwoven connections. Yeah. And that's why you get a lot of patchwork, I guess. Exactly, exactly. We just made it 10 times more complicated. So I hope at least if you're listening, you listened all the way to the end, you got something out of this to, you know, shape your own view of this. But we, we just wanted to give, you know, some clarity on perspectives on, on where the minimum wage comes from and what the pros and cons are. But I think it's important for people to understand this, that that's where it comes first, to understand it and not just dismiss it or outright, you know, fight for it. Exactly, exactly. There, there's layers to everything and the better you understand all the sides, the more informed you can be in your position. And that's what we're trying to do with the Capital Convos because eventually we're going to build up this conversation more on very economical sides and to understand that on a you know macro level, on a societal level, these subjects, you need to have an, at least a base understanding of these subjects to bring it into context. All right, so just to summarize, just to give you something to sleep on, let's just give a few pro and con arguments. So let's just say I will argue both sides to the fullest of my ability and then just let the audience decide for themselves which argument just sits with them better. So obviously the pro side of the minimum wage is that you need to reduce poverty. Understandable. All right. But the counter position to that would be, would you rather have the majority of people employed at a lower wage or unemployed at a higher wage? So paradoxically, if you increase the minimum wage, you would actually hurt the people you would try to help. And the majority of people that earn a minimum wage are actually young people, right? So the people argue that uh, the minimum wage isn't enough to feed a family of two. But that, that's not really a good argument because most people earning the minimum wage are still living at home with their parents. And if you make it illegal to hire people at a lower wage, because that's, that's what a minimum wage does, it makes it illegal for someone to be hired at a lower wage. Those people can't even get their foot in the door and get a job to begin with to even start the process of climbing up the ladder. All right, so that, that's just one side of the argument. A different side of the argument would be you would decrease the amount of welfare spending that the government would have to do. Because if the corporations are paying, then the government has less to do. But obviously, wouldn't that be nice if the government could just decide with a flick of a pen what your wage should be? It's, it's almost impossible because when you say a minimum wage should be 15, what's to say that a minimum wage shouldn't be 20? What's to say it shouldn't be a thousand? Like people understand that there are constraints to how high a minimum wage should be. And if it's, if the minimum wage is good at 15, why isn't it good at 20? Definitely. All right. So I, I think that's a good place to leave it at. And we're going to close this episode off with it. But with that being said, I think the next topic we should explore to build on this minimum wage concept is universal basic income. That is something I would have fun with. All right. So thanks for listening, guys. This was Capital Convos. All right. See you in the next one.